This is Bucket Listening from First Horizon Bank, sharing first-hand stories from people who have found a way every day to live their bucket list. Everyone has aspirations, and often we see them as experiences for some time down the road. But we say, why wait? Welcome to Bucket Listening, where we're talking to amazing people who have found a way every day to live their bucket life. Hi, I'm your host, Tabitha Scott, and I'm so excited you could join us for this very special first episode. On the show today, we have an amazing guest, Bob Emmer. Bob is truly an inspirational person who has, and continues to, lead an incredible and fascinating life. From an early career in journalism to the tip-top of the music industry, Bob's story is one that you'll never forget. And along with Bob, we also have the pleasure of being joined by Mark Ford. Mark is the Vice President of Music Industry Banking at First Horizon, where he helps make sure that Bob can continue to turn his bucket list into a beautiful life. Bob and Mark, welcome to Bucket Listening. Thank you, Tabitha. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. And tell me where you're coming in from today. I'm coming in from Calabasas, California. Good. Mark, how about you? Where are you vlogging in from? I am sitting in Nashville, Tennessee on Fame Music Row. Wow, Music City. How appropriate. I am near Boulder, Colorado today. Beautiful. And it's snowing. It's great. Yeah, it's beautiful out here. I'm excited about it. So I want to talk to you a bit, Bob, about your bucket life and life in general. We thought it was a great example of somebody who's kind of just living out loud what they want to do. And that's what this podcast is all about. I wondered if you could just kind of give our listeners a little overview about how you got into the business you're in and where it's taken you in your life. Well, I was fortunate enough to get into the entertainment, the music side first. Back in my college days, undergraduate, I was an aspiring journalist who just was like chopping at the bit to get into being a journalist. And I enrolled in J School at the University of Southern California. They had one of the few universities where you could actually get a degree, an undergraduate degree in journalism. I decided that the school needed to have a music editor and they needed to have a food editor and who better than me to fill that position. So I pleaded with the editor of the paper at the time. They went along with it. I was able to go to the Troubadour, the legendary Troubadour in Los Angeles every Tuesday night because that's when they hosted journalists. So I got to bring a guest free of charge on Tuesday nights. Most people went out Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I had date night Tuesday night, and then I'd have to write a story about it, and it was a, a good way to get into what I was hoping was going to be my career in journalism. I then became editor of the entertainment section, and I gave people albums to review because I was very much into music then and still am now. And I fortunately gave the A&M seminal album, Carol King's Tapestry, to somebody to review and thank God I gave it to them to review because they thought it was the worst piece of drivel they had ever heard. So, I, you know, they have the right to say whatever they want. I thought it was a great album, and it is. But I printed that. I got a very irate call from the then college representative who said, you're out. I'll never send you a record again. And I was like, wait a minute, freedom of the press. You have the right to say whatever he wants to say. 
And I mentioned to him that the A and A and M stood for Herb Alpert, and I went to the same high school as Herb Alpert did. So the next day, I actually called A and M Studios and got through to a lovely assistant to Mr. Alpert. Told him what my plight was that I was never getting records again, and she said, "You know, I think this is a little below Herb's pay grade." But I'm going to transfer you over to the person that runs the college representative department. I spoke to a gentleman by the name of Lance Freed. Anybody listening or watching that knows anything about rock and roll history, Lance's father was the legendary Alan Freed, who coined the term rock and roll. Anyway, Lance said to me, don't worry about it. You'll get all the records you want. Steve, the current rep, will no longer be the rep next year. He's graduating. We're hiring. I emphasize the word hiring a new college rep. I said, what do you mean hiring? He goes, well, we hire somebody, we pay them $35 a week. They give away records. They talk to the radio stations at college and the paper. I said, wait a minute, that's me. He said, well, come in tomorrow and let's see if it's you. I came in and fortunately it was me and I never turned back. I said, I'm out. I'm into the music business at that time. And to keep this short, one thing led to another. I was fortunate enough to work at various record companies in publicity. Then I went to law school and continued working at record labels and finally wound up at my last record label was Atlantic Records. It was like I was sent to Nirvana because Atlantic Records at the time had the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, Bad Company, a host of others. And I would occasionally, because I was the head of West Coast publicity, get the hard chore in my work of going on tour with Zeppelin or the Stones for a week on the West Coast tour. You know, it's a tough, tough life. It was a tough life. That sounds dreadful. Right, it was dreadful, you know? It's like, wow, darn, <laughs> I have to go out with them. And at the same time, I was at law school, and that's where I learned about plea bargaining. You learn through experience, and, and the story goes like this. I had a torts professor, Professor Skolnick, thank you, Mr. Skolnick, who had an assignment that was due, and he had said that, you know, there's no way you get out of it. If you need an extension, it has to be a matter of life or death. So I went to see Mr. Skolnick to tell him I could not get the assignment in on time. He said, Mr. Emmer, life or death? I told you that. I said, well, fortunately, I'm not dead yet, and nobody's going to be dying in my family. I said, but it is a matter of life. I work at Atlantic Records. And I have to go out for a week with Led Zeppelin. I said, wait a minute, Led Zeppelin, you true? Aren't they playing at the LA Coliseum? I said, yes, they are, sir. He said, I would love to see Led Zeppelin. And they were sold out. And I said, and I would love to get a week extension on my paper. Hence, we, the plea bargain was in. We shook hands on it. I got an extension. I got them two tickets to the concert. And that's what law was about. So that's where it began, this negotiation skill that you have. Negotiate. I don't know about skills. Sometimes it's just doing what seems to be the right thing to do or say the right thing. And it, it works out. From there, I eventually... Got out of working at record labels. I got an opportunity to work with one of my first, maybe my first and really the most influential mentor in my life. I got to work at Alive Enterprises, which was a management company. My mentor was Shep Gordon. For those of you who are not familiar and want to learn more about him, I highly, highly recommend you go on YouTube or whatever and get Shep Gordon Supermensch. It's a documentary done by Mike Myers about Shep's life and how he got to where he's gotten and his philosophies. Phenomenal documentary. 
I was working with Shep, going to law school at night. We, at the time, the management company managed the likes of Alice Cooper, who we started with, Teddy Pendergrass, Luther Vangroth, Rick James, Blondie, and a host of others. And I learned a lot about that. And then I had a TV show on NBC that I created, a late night rock and roll show with Shep and a gentleman by the name of Neil Marshall called Rock and Roll Tonight. It was great. You can go on YouTube and look up those shows. I think you find them fascinating and a little different than most music shows in that it was all live. Once that got canceled, Shep told me that I was no longer needed at a live enterprise. And I was shocked. But he said, no, it's time for you to move on and spread your own wings. Oh, and by the way, I've gotten you an interview at MGM to do a soundtrack for a major motion picture they're putting out called That's Dancing. And as she said to me, if you don't F it up, you'll get that job and you'll make more money doing that one project than you've made from with me probably for the last three years. That is true. That's what happened. And going back to my college days and a lesson that I learned early on, don't neglect or just remember the people you meet all the way along life. You never know when they're going to come back in your life and mean something. So when I used to go to the Troubadour on Tuesday night, I was covering it for the USC paper, and a gentleman by the name of Harold Bronson was covering it for the Daily Brew and the UCLA paper, and we became friends. And he started a little record company with another gentleman, my current partner is named Richard Foose. He and Richard had this record label. They needed somebody to come in. This record label was Rhino Records, became a legendary independent. They needed somebody to consult them in business affairs since I had a legal background. I became the consultant. One thing led to another. They became larger as I was consulting. I said, you need to have somebody full-time. They said, why not you? And I said, absolutely, why not me? And I then became the third partner at Rhino and was able to architect a very interesting, unique deal with Atlantic Records that gave Atlantic the ability to buy the company at a very nice price. That happened over 20 years ago. We sold Rhino to the Warner Music Group, where it currently resides. And I was technically out of a job and too young to retire. I don't think I'll ever retire. As my wife says, you won't. You'll rewire, but not retire. So anyway, Richard, myself, and Richard's brother, Garson, formed a new company called Shout Factory, built on the core competencies of Rhino. We've had that company for 20 years. During that period, the last five to seven years ago, we had the good fortune of meeting Mark and Andrew Kintz at First Horizon Bank, which had become our bankers, hopefully bankers for life. They are just a delight. I know it sounds like a paid advertisement, but they are. They're not only bankers, they become friends. And if anybody has the opportunity and they will accept them into their world, it's a good world to be in. Well, let me back you up a little bit. I heard that you listened to and wrote a review for a young man that ended up having a pretty popular career early on as you were writing reviews, and it got picked up in a top magazine. Could you tell us more about who that was? Yeah, it's an interesting thing. Tuesday nights, back to Tuesday at the Troubadour, we go, and there's always the opening act, which was an up-and-coming act, and I got a call from a gentleman by the name of Artie Rip legendary in the music page saying, listen, I've got an artist that's opening up Tuesday night by the name of Billy Joel, and I'd love for you to do a feature story, not just review them. 
And me being the true journalist that I am, I said, I got to go hear him. I don't even know who the heck he is. He goes, I'll tell you what, go listen to him. And then if you want to do an interview, call me back. And I'm no fool. If he was down to the barrel to the USC Daily Trudge, it, nobody took him up on his offer. So I go to see the artist on Tuesday night and I am blown away. It was like, whoa, this is like, he's incredible. So I go and do the interview with Billy the next day and I write a feature for the Daily Trojan. And a couple of weeks later, somebody calls me, they go, did you see Billboard magazine? I said, no, I haven't gotten it yet. They go, when you get it, turn to page, whatever it was, and look at the ad. So I get the magazine, I turn to the ad, and there's a full page ad for Billy Joel's new album, Cold Spring Harbor on Family Productions with one quote, because I'm sure I'm the only one that did a feature. And the quote was, a singer-songwriter to be reckoned with for decades to come. And I saw that, and at Bob Emmer wow. Daily Trojan, I said, wow, no, I, I definitely nice. don't want to be a journalist anymore. I want, I want this business that recognizes <laughs> and hears what I have to say. And that really was my first entry. And to this day, I thank Artie. Every time we speak, I say, thank you for getting me into the business. But there's been a lot of those little stories along the way, like being amongst the first hundred people on the West Coast to go see a new upcoming artist that hadn't yet broken on the West Coast by the name of Bruce Springsteen. And he played at the Roxy for a hundred people. And I fortunately got two tickets from my wife, my then girlfriend or fiance, I don't know if we got to that point yet, went to see him. And again, I was going in ambivalent. I thought it was a big hype. He had been on the cover of Time and Newsweek at the exact same week. I don't know who screwed up at Time or Newsweek that allowed that to happen. And I said, great publicity stunt, but who is this guy? Blown away. And to this day, I have never gone to see, I've been offered tickets, whatever, to see Bruce Springsteen in concert. I've gone into some charity events where he's played a song or two. And the reason is that is such an image that was so amazing that nothing could compare to it. And I want to just keep that in my heart. Yeah. How could you? And to have that opportunity at such a young age and how everything that you did led up your story growing up and moving around quite a bit and then becoming a journalist and how that led into writing for the music industry and how you started negotiating things. How did that ability to negotiate your way through help you later on in life? Well, the first big negotiation, other than that one I told you about in law school, but actually happened before, so it would be the first negotiation, happened between my then fiance and myself, where she said, you've got to go to law school. You can't be a publicist all your life. And I said, I like what I do. I have no intention of going to law school. And she said, then I have no intention of living with you. I'll be moving out unless you go to law school. So she negotiated very hard. And I'm happy to say that uh, I accepted her challenge. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Some people thought about Bruce Springsteen as being the boss, but it sounds like we both know who the boss is. Hands down. <laughs> For 47 years, 50 years that we've been together, I know who the boss is. So I said, I'll go at night, and if I like it, I'll transfer to the day. And that was the deal. We, we agreed on it. She didn't move out. That was good. I went at night with the full intention, as I said to her, I'm not going to be graduating at the top of the class on this go-around because I have a full-time day job. And it's okay. After going there one year, I loved it. And I go back, and I said, time for a little renegotiation. He goes, what do you mean? I said, I like it. 
goes, okay, what's the negotiation? I said, I also like the record business. I want to be in the music business. I have a good foot in the door. If I drop out now and go to day school and get out in three years, I'm going to lose all the contacts I have. And those are important, contacts and mentors. I said, I can't do it. You created this monster, so the renegotiation is I'll stick with law school four years at night and continue working during the day. And she agreed to the renegotiation, and she agreed to marry me. So, you know, it was a good, it was a good deal. And the rest is history. I hope not history. History has a finality to it. Please. The rest is the ongoing story and saga. It's the ongoing story, for sure. Let's talk about how you're able to turn your bucket list items into just a beautiful life, how you're going along. And in listening to you talk, it sounds like you find these nuggets that you enjoy and then you use them or you use it as kind of a waypoint towards the things that you really love to do. Could you say more for our listeners about how you have turned the things that you want to do into a way of having your lifestyle? I think it first starts with gratitude and gratefulness. I'm very grateful and I have a lot of gratitude for the fact that I've been given the opportunity to take a lot of things out of my bucket list and realize them. And my bucket list is organic. Every so often, a new thing goes in as a new thing goes out. I mean, just this morning, I realized that, wait a minute, April of next year, there's a full solar eclipse and you can view it in Mazatlan. So I was on the phone this morning trying to book hotels, which are near impossible, but I'll figure something out to go to Mazatlan for the solar eclipse. That went in the bucket. Okay, something else has gone out. I got to go to Mardi Gras thanks to Mark and his crew at the bank. Uh, somebody was able to get me to be able to be on a float. They didn't get me. I want to be clear. I, I had to pay the fees and all that, but the bank at least made the introduction and I was able to do it. And I got to ride on a float that came out of the bucket list. So the bucket list is organic. It keeps getting bigger, smaller, and that's the excitement. The journey is the excitement. So I've been fortunate with that. There are certain key things in that bucket that always go in, and that is travel. I love to travel, so does my wife. I don't consider myself one as a, you know, you go on vacation or you just go on a trip. I'm a traveler. I mean, we like to immerse ourselves into the, the culture and the people. It's the people that excite me and the, the environment that they're in. And the other thing is food. I am an avowed foodie. I will admit that. And I'm always seeking what restaurant do I need to go to and not just relying on reviews and stuff, because a lot of times one of my little secrets is when I go to a restaurant that I'm, I seek out and like, I usually ask if I can speak to the chef or if the chef's not available, whoever, whoever's in charge there. And my question to them is, so when you're not eating at your restaurant and you're not eating at home, where do you eat? And it doesn't have to be a high-end place. So I've eaten at some great dives, at local places, and that's exciting to me. Now, do you ever offer to help them cook? Or is there something interesting that you do when you travel? You know, or do you just like lying in a lounge chair and baking in the sun? Is that your idea of travel? Or what's your idea of travel? Baking was a good word. I don't bake in the sun, but I do have a habit when I travel. I'm an early riser. I love the peace and quiet. And when I'm traveling, I love to go out on a walk and watch the sunrise. So I'm usually up a little before sunrise or dawn and I start walking. And if you travel, 
in enough places, and not necessarily in big cities, but you know, nice little villages and what have you, whether you're in Greece or Spain or France, there's a smell in the air, and it's usually the smell of the bakery. And I am a fool for the smell of a bakery. So I usually sniff it out and find the bakery. And I go and I ask if I can take some pictures and broken English, whatever, broken Spanish. Yes, sure. And then I go, you know, could I bake with you? And I would say 80 to 90% of the time, I get the opportunity to go in and do a little baking with them. And that's like roll the dough. And it's great. I love it. It's a hobby. So Bob Emmer has his own kind of baking. (laughs) <laughs> as the sun comes up. <laughs> as I've gotten older, my doctor said, baking in the sun is not a good idea. Baking at a bakery, perfect. Nice. You mentioned earlier, as you just had this acceleration into the music industry at the very top of it, and you said that someone told you, be nice to people on the way up and they can help you if you need them on the way down. And that authenticity, I think, is important I heard a little rumor, and I would like for you to to say more about it, that at your law school, they wanted to honor you with a plaque. And you said, no, not unless you put something very specific on it, which kind of took them aback. And uh, they ended up agreeing with you because you're a, a darn good negotiator. Could <laughs> Tell us about that story. Well, no, I think it was, I was a darn good donor at that point. I was contacting by my the law school, and I did. I went to Loyola Law School at night. It was the only West Coast accredited school. And when I got out, they were celebrating the hundredth anniversary of the school. So somebody came up with this bright idea, way to raise money, that they would honor the hundred top alumni in each of the schools, School of Political Science. And I get a call. Congratulations, we're gonna. I want to honor you as one of the top one hundred alumni from the law school. Successful. I remember that word was successful. My first thing was, thank you. How much is that going to cost me in a donation? And they they told me what the number was. It was a fair number. I said, okay. And they go, oh, by the way, you're also going to get honored, not just your name, but each of the hundred people from the law school are going to have their picture taken, a plaque, and it's going to be placed somewhere in the law school, not all together. I said, great. I said, with one thing has to be on that plaque. And they go, what's that? I said, well, it must say, and he graduated in the bottom 25% of his class. And she started laughing. She said, of course, you're kidding, right? I said, no, 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 I I did, and that's okay. I'm okay with it. As I said, I was never going to be in the top of my class. I had work to do. It was hard enough getting into law school. And I'm not that great in math either, but I know some of us have to be in the bottom 25% of the class. I said, no, I'm not kidding. She goes, why would you want to highlight that? I said, because every year there will be a bunch of people that are in the bottom 25% of the class. And if they look up at that plaque and see that and see that it's not where they are, it's where they're going. That's what I tell everybody. It's not where you are, it's where you're going. Then I'm happy. I feel like I've done a good deed. So there's a plaque somewhere in the law, so I probably put it in the lavatory now that I put that on it. <laughs> I do love that. And I think that's part of living an active lifestyle that you do feel good about. It's where you're headed and where you're going next. And one of the things, Mark, I haven't forgotten about you, there aren't any brick and mortar banks out there where you are in LA for First Horizon. And 
how did you come about working with Mark and how does he help you push play on this constant activity and what's next and keeping up with your companies and your travels and and all of that? Well, we have a common, I'm going to say friend, but it's a it's an associate by the name of Henry Root. I've known him for a while. And we were at a restaurant. Henry was there with Mark and with uh, Andrew Kintz from the bank. And he made an introduction. He goes, I think you need to know these guys. They're with First Tennessee Bank. And now this is before it was called First Horizon. And we met and we talked and I like their style. So we, we made a deal with them. We, we left a bigger bank because we were just not taken seriously enough. And Mark and Andrew said, you're important to what we're doing in the entertainment sector. And they, true to their word, we've grown together. We just finished doing it, shout, after 20 years, a very big transformative event where we sold off some of the equity in the company to a major venture capital company. And they had said to me, Early when we were in the negotiation, hey, we're a big company. We have a lot of relationships with banks. When this deal closes, we will we'll set you up with a couple of our bags. And I said, wait a minute. I can't do this to First Horizon. They got to have a place at the table to at least give it a shot. And they said, okay. And I don't think they thought they had any shot whatsoever. And I called Mark and I said, Mark, I got you a meeting here. But please don't screw around. Don't make this a negotiation. Come with your best offer because they're going to listen to you once. And if it's not close enough in the ballpark, they'll say, see, we listen to them. You got to go with Schmageggy Bank over here because they're a big, huge bank. Came in, Mark put his team together. And to his credit, they came in and they blew these guys away. And they go, this is great. And we don't want to upset the apple cart. And they got, they got it, you know, and that was great. And that made life a lot easier. And we've already expanded. We've been... In this new situation for four months, and they've already come to the table and helped us grow already in some acquisitions that we've done. So thank you, Mark. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, everybody at the bank. It's a wonderful place to be. That's awesome. Mark, how do you keep up with all of these rolling stones, pun intended there? How do you help them squeeze more life out of what they're doing and their achievements and their ambitions and you know all of these things that they're accomplishing especially in the music industry, something very specific like that. I've always loved working with Bob this day we met, probably about seven years ago. He's one of my favorites. A lot of it comes down to having a great team, too. He's got an amazing organization around him that they've built. Part of it is just being there and being present and being available and taking some of those stressors off of Bob. He can have confidence in us and know things are getting done from a financial standpoint or from any transactions they have going on. That's the biggest place that I think I help Bob. That sounds great. Now, for both of you, if there is a piece of advice you were given that you would like to share with others that is particularly helpful in planning your life going forward, does anything come to mind? One thing I've always lived by is nobody works for me. Everybody works with me. It's a team effort. If you don't believe that, then you know you shouldn't be around. And I know Mark and his team feel the same way about the way they work. It's a team effort. I don't like when people say, well, you know, Tabitha works for me. No, she doesn't. She'll work with you. It should be a, a team effort going forward. So that's probably one of the key things that take away that I have. Mark, how about you? Anything that comes to mind? I'd say the best advice that I received, and I, I, I'll always remember this one, just going into college, 
my mom worked for a successful law firm and I was really close with her boss who was an attorney and and he wrote me a nice letter as I was going off to college and he said, have fun, enjoy your time in college, have some fun, work hard first. And what did I do? I went off and had a whole lot of fun and my very first semester I got a D and I was like, oh, that's what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should work hard first. And, and ever since that yeah. first semester, you know, it was really eye-opening and I went on to live by those words that he gave me. So rapid fire question here. If you guys had to pick a slogan for a t-shirt, what would that be? I would say be nice. I mean, I, I think of the big smiley face and just be nice, be happy. I just, I, life's too short to be upset all the time or mad all the time. I just, I try and live a life of enjoyment and, and happiness. Mine would be look at life as a fruit and grab that fruit every day and seize it and squeeze every ounce of joy, life, happiness out of that, and then discard it, and the next day pick another piece of fruit. So mine has always been seize and squeeze. I love it. Seize and squeeze. Bob, you're a man of t-shirt slogans, because earlier you said when your wife says, are you going to retire? You say, uh, no, I'm going to rewire, not retire. I have to credit that T-shirt to my wife. If I didn't do that, she would be all over me. She taught, She came up with that slogan. And I want to ask you one last question. What do you think is the biggest obstacle? What gets in the way of people living their bucket life actively? Well, unfortunately, so many people don't have the means. They have the intention and they have the desire, not the, the, the desire and the thought, but they don't have the means. So I think that could be the biggest obstacle for most people. And for those that have the means and the capability, the fear of taking that step forward and doing it, because my God, what can happen? It's, it's the unknown. And to me, that's the excitement. I'm not yet ready to bungee jump, but I'm ready to take chances. I like it. Mark, any last advice? Anything that gets in people's way? Everybody's different. For me in my life, I think it's just time. You get pulled in a lot of directions and so many life's commitments come at you so quick, whether it's kids, home life, work. Obviously, uh, building a business for First Horizon over the last seven years has just taken an extraordinary amount of time and commitment. But, you know, I, I hope to get to be that place one day like Bob and venture off and travel and live that bucket life. But, you know, even with work and building a business, this has been part of my bucket life. I love what I do for a living. I love working for First Horizon Bank. And music industry is, a, is an amazing industry with a lot of fun, a lot of stress, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I like that. And hey, Bob, I just moved to Colorado and I am not a skier, but I understand that You've just recently taken up skiing yourself. Could you say more about that? Yes. Now that I've gotten the ability to take some money off the table, I do ski. And at my age, at 71, a lot of people say, you know, you shouldn't be skiing. It's bad. I said, no, no, no. Skiing stands for S spending, K kids, I inheritance. And I'm doing that, but in the right way. There'll be plenty left for them when, when I'm gone. But while I'm doing it, I want to spend it and, and see the joy on their face. I mean, I've got grandkids. I've got two sons. I've got a lovely daughter-in-laws. I would like to share that with them and see the joy on their face as opposed to live, leaving it to them. And I don't know if I'll see it from above, from below, or who knows. So that's why I've taken up skiing. I'd rather be skiing. 
I love it. Well, thank you, Bob and Mark, for being with us today on Bucket Listening. And I want to say a big thank you to Bob and Mark for taking the time to join us today on the show. And a special thanks to Bob for sharing his amazing story and perspective on life. Thanks to all of you for listening to our conversation. And I hope you enjoyed hearing from Bob as much as I enjoyed speaking with him. And if you did like the show today, be sure to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. This has been Bucket Listening, presented by First Horizon Bank. I'm Tabitha Scott. Be sure to catch our next episode and start turning your bucket list into your own beautiful life.